All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Exit 77, a Notre Dame football podcast. I am your host, Drew Brennan, coming to you live uh, from the suburbs of Chicago. It is, uh, let's see, it is Wednesday, August 29th, or excuse me, uh, yeah, no, August 30th, actually, um, coming at you um, at night. Um, it's few days past Notre Dame's opening season victory against Navy. Um, Irish came out and won the game 45-3. to A lot of Irish fans, I think, super excited to see uh, that victory. Am I wrong with the score there? Uh, uh, okay, well, I'll, I will be corrected here in a minute. Uh, I need to, need to do a little bit more homework. Um, but I think a lot of Irish fans super excited about the victory. Saw a lot of great things from our from our from our Fighting Irish. Uh, a lot of things that I think the team can build on as we continue on this year. Um, but still, some questions as we roll into the, the the week upcoming as the Irish face off against Tennessee State at home here uh, at Notre Dame. Um, Excited to chat with you guys a little bit more tonight. Have a couple of special guests joining us live here, also from Glen Ellen. A couple of 1999 uh, Notre Dame graduates. Um, I will let them introduce themselves to you and tell them, or tell you a little bit more about them. But I, uh, I can't wait for them to be a part of this podcast and let you guys know their thoughts on Notre Dame football. Uh, we've already discussed a little bit before the pod started uh, some topics we want to cover, and I think it's uh, it could get a little spicy. Um, so yeah. Get ready, folks. Um, so I'm going to pass it over first uh, to uh, Glen Allen's finest and f- uh, biggest Glenbard West football fan, uh, Mr. Adam Ortega. Adam, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're new to the pod. Um, good buddy of mine here in town. Uh, but, yeah, let's hear a little bit more about you, Adam. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, Adam Ortega grew up in Wyoming. like to claim Grace Hall, even though they kicked us out freshman year. Known Drew probably since my sophomore year. Um, on with a good buddy of mine, Raj Basu. Didn't actually grow up a Notre Dame fan. Uh, my uncle went, didn't think I could get in. I proved him wrong. And once I visited, it was all, it was all gravy from there. Uh, there was no way I could not go to Notre Dame after that. Um, and then once I saw Raj at freshman graffiti dance, then we were um, best friends for life. So very excited to be on the pod, Drew. Um, so excited. Listen to Exit 77 every week, unlike my counterpart over here, but I'll let him, I'll let him introduce himself. Uh, this is Raj Basu. Uh, as Adam said, he had me at Blue Marker from the graffiti <laughs> dance. Uh, I grew up actually in South Bend under the, sh- under the shadow of the dome. My parents were faculty in Notre Dame, so I was born and raised there. Um, spent a lot of days on God quad waiting to go home. Um, my first Notre Dame game ever, and we could talk about that at some point in the podcast, Drew, but, uh, was the 1982 game against Arizona, which I think in retrospect was the beginning of the end of the Faust era. (laughs) Um, but you know, I lived my whole life as a Notre Dame fan, uh, got, the pleasure of going to St. Joe High School right across the green from the fourth green at Old Burke uh, and met a lot of great people, including my brother, uh, Adam and uh, Drew. I can't believe we really never really crossed paths on campus, but I feel like I've known you forever already. And it's exciting to be on with you guys. 
Yeah, no, thank you guys for joining. It's it, this is really this is really cool. I'm 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 really looking forward to tonight's show. You guys have become really close friends here in Glen Ellen, so it's awesome to have you guys on. And Raj, your uh, Jerry Faust man, that is that was a little before my time. Even though I'm a, a year behind you at Notre Dame, I literally I don't think I started following Notre Dame football until the Lou Holtz days. So the fact that you were were on the Faust train for a little bit there that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, that was <laughs> that was. I don't know that it was a willing train rider. I just have vivid memories of that. I mean, I... Who wasn't on the Blair Keel train, though? Yeah. And who wasn't on the Pinkett, Pinkett, Pinkett punt, punt train? We all were. Oh, you know, so actually, that is a good reminder. I actually had a signed uh, photo of Alan Pinkett um, that was in my room. So that was, might have been one of my first early memories of Notre Dame. Although I, I think the guy that got it started for me, though, was 1987 Tim Brown. So I don't think you could ever deny that. So... Um, all right. Well, let's let's take this back to uh, to Dublin, Ireland, um, in the Irish. You're right, Raj. I did look it up. Forty two to three. My bad there to start off the podcast. Wrong score. Um, but uh, let's take it back to Dublin, Ireland. Um, Irish came out and had a great start. I think they scored uh, on their first four drives. It was twenty eight to nothing at halftime. Uh, finished off the Navy midshipmen in the second half um, with you know pretty sound beating you know fourteen to three from a scoring in across the third and fourth quarters. Uh, Adam, I'm going to throw it over to you to kind of just give us your you know kind of your first takes of the game um obviously we saw sam hardman we saw what he could do um why don't you give us your thoughts on on notre dame's offense and what you saw from the offense um in this first uh, first matchup of the season yeah no i mean I, I i think that this was a classic just dichotomy of what notre dame has been missing and that's that's just strong quarterback play right i mean when you watch sam hartman the recognition is is just unbelievable. I mean, when we first saw Drew Pine last year, he had a hard time just getting dump off passes. And, you know, Hartman was recognizing coverage. Um, he wasn't afraid to go to a freshman wide receiver like Jordan Greathouse. We, we just did a great job and we had a good run balance, a run pass balance throughout the game. So, I mean, what I think I've heard a lot of the off season is just how inexperienced and unproven the wide receiving core is. And I, I tell you what, if you give me a quarterback like Sam Hartman, I, I don't really care if you have Michael Mayer, Michael Floyd, Golden Tate um, as your wide receivers. If you have a quarterback that recognizes the defense and can put you in a good, good position, I'll take that every day. And, um, you know, I, I think that, Sam Hartman is going to be the, the difference this year. And, and, and one, one of the things that I, I think that a lot of people are talking about here is just the overreaction to a bad Navy team. And, and, and granted, that, that, is, that is definitely true, but you still have to take care of, of business, right? And Notre Dame did that and, and, and did that in an efficient fashion. I mean, they, they averaged six yards per rush, which was, is amazing. Um, uh, they, what they also have they they it was the the offense averaged 7.8 yards per play 10.1 yards per attempt 12.1 yards per catch i mean you, you couldn't ask for anything more on the offense and yeah a lot of that is sam hartman but um having a guy like audrick estimate to to take the pressure off the quarterback too um i think a lot of teams are going to struggle with the balance that we have 
Yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head there with regards to the balance. I mean, it's it's one thing to have a great rushing attack, which the Irish have had for the last few years. Um, you know, obviously, you know, buoyed by a pretty good offensive line and, you know, two great tackles that the Irish have right now. But when you have the ability to have a quarterback that's a difference maker, the defense has to prepare for that, right? You know, that has not been the case for Notre Dame in the last few years. You didn't have to have a defense that said, you know, this quarterback could beat us all day, every day. Notre Dame finally has that player in Sam Hartman. Um, and what that allows the Irish to do is really kind of play their game, right? They can dictate, all right, hey, we're going to run here. We're going to throw here. It's really kind of our game, um, and we can do what we want. You want to defend us against the pass, we'll beat you with the run. Same thing, you want to stack the box, you know, we can beat you with the pass. So I- I'm excited. I think that the balance that we saw is something that we should see um, from a continued, you know, perspective throughout the year. Um, Raj, I'm going to throw it over to you. Um, would love to hear your thoughts a little bit more around the skill position players for the Irish, you know, the tight ends didn't catch any passes, uh, but we saw a lot of different, you know, wide receivers uh, catch the ball. We saw a lot of running backs play. I think five running backs play total. What, what did you see from uh, the running backs? What did you see from the wide receivers? What did you like? Um, and is there anything that, uh, that you thought was missing from the skill position players on the Irish? Um, you know, let, let me start with the tight end point that you made. <laughs> One of the things that I thought was super notable, particularly in the last, I don't know, four to six years, is the best player on the field, I think, offensively for us was the tight end for years. And we developed a reputation of that. And who didn't catch a single pass this game was the tight end, which tells you something. Because when the tight end is a skilled position, that tight end also has to be broader, close to the line. You don't have that many that can split out into X or Y positions or even the slot. So you're automatically losing the ability to spread the field. And if you don't need to constantly focus on the tight end and you have other weapons, then you have the ability to be more versatile in your offense, I think. I think to Adam's point about Hartman's ability to distribute the ball, and it doesn't matter if you have – Michael Floyd or my favorite receiver all time, Derek Mays out there. You could have Adam Ortega out there or Raj Basu or God knows Drew Brennan and Hartman would seemingly find them. I think that was telling you something. I think one of the things that having a quarterback like him allows you to do, and we saw it a couple times when Navy brought pressure. It was hilarious to watch because he almost was laughing. He was smiling, enjoying himself. He'd sidestep the pressure and allow the playmakers to make plays. I mean, I was super impressed with Greathouse's first catch, or I think his first catch was a touchdown. He had to focus through the DB. I mean, basically, Hartman slid this ball through there, which a lot of our receivers in the past wouldn't have had the focus to catch. Um, and that tells you something right there. I thought that was very impressive. Um, you know, I thought Colsey made a bunch of good catches. It was a little surprised we didn't see more Merriweather. Uh, I thought the running backs were really impressive 12 brings back flashes of ricky waters right but the thing about estimate that i thought was really impressive also one he's scary to watch because if i was on defense who why would you want to run up against him but estimate allows you to set up hartman and unlike the issues in the past where run 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 then you stack the box and oh your quarterback can't do anything well now we have a quarterback that can kill you so now what do you do you use estimate to set up Hartman or Hartman to set up the running game. I mean, there's a lot of things. I, I, I would take one thing to point out also, other than the fact that what Adam mentions about our plays, yards you know, yards per attempt rushing or per attempt passing, we were seemingly always in second and short, which, I mean, it's very difficult to defend your offense if you're in second and short. But kudos to Parker for coming out with the game plan he did. 
I mean, and and first game of the four, first first game of the second full year for Freeman to come out and look so smooth. I mean, it helps to have Golden able to adjust to a Navy offense so quickly. Um, but kudos to the assistant coaches. I mean, I, I I'll end this with this. Those of us who are golf fans watch Victor Hovland shoot a 27 or something at, at Olympia. That's hard to do for anybody from 50 yards out playing a scramble. So it doesn't matter how bad maybe is. Playing the kind of game we did against them is pretty hard to do no matter what. Yeah, I, I, I agree with a lot of the points that you put in there, Raj, and especially with regards to the overall offensive operation. I think if you read some of the reports, you read some of the articles or listen to the podcast, they, they continue to talk about how smooth everything was, You know, getting the plays in. I don't think we had one uh, delayed call. God, I mean, how many... Brian Kelly games that we literally start off with a delayed penalty on literally the first play of the game. We couldn't get our offense set after a kickoff. That drove me crazy. Um, there was one only one penalty. It was a holding on Mitchell Evans. Um, so yeah, kudos to the staff there. Um, we can and we can talk a little bit more about the skill positions and the wide receivers and, and running backs later on. But you brought up a good point there at the end around Parker and Adam. We talked a little bit about it before the podcast. Love to hear your thoughts around Jared Parker and his first game and and what you what you saw from him and you know how do you think that bodes for the rest of the season. Well, I, I think the, the, the Jared Parker story arc is, is a good one, right? You know, I, I think a lot of Notre Dame fans were apoplectic when, when we missed out on Ludwig, right? And I think that everybody's biggest fear was just Notre Dame elevating a tight end coach, right? And I think that totally dismisses a lot of what Parker's past has been. You know, I mean, he was, he was the offensive coordinator at West Virginia in 2020 and 2021. You know, in his 2020 offense, they averaged 412 yards per game. They had pretty decent balance. They had 277 yards passing, 135 yards rushing. So it wasn't like this was some no name um, that that Marcus Freeman was turning turning the reins over to. And I, I think this actually speaks to, to kind of a bigger picture of, of of a point that you you want to maybe address later, um, Drew. And that's that Marcus Freeman is forming this this team kind of in his image, right? Um, you know, to, to, to kind of elaborate on Parker, him and Freeman go back to their their Purdue days. And in 2016, when Daryl Hazel was fired, the guy who was elevated as interim head coach was Jared Parker. And he ran into some some issues after the, the 2016 season. But th- this this isn't this the typical small-timey, low-hanging fruit kind of hire that most Notre Dame fans wanted to, to kind of project this as. He's he's actually he's he's got some history as an offensive coordinator, or coordinator. He has a history of leading leading guys. Um, he's been a tight end coach, so expect to see some of those tight ends later on in the year, especially when Raritan gets healthy, to get involved in the offense a little bit more. But I mean, you, you know, Parker just kept that Navy defense just a, a good a good Navy defense. I, I think they returned at least eight starters from last year that gave up less than 89 yards rushing per game. So, I mean, you, you know, say, say what you want about Navy team. The reason why Brian Newberry got that job after they fired Ken, um, you know, Ken, Ken N was, was because of his defensive efficiency. And all, all Parker did was just, I mean, he distributed the ball. You know, the, the other big thing about that I'll say about, you know, if this is Parker, if this is Freeman, is that they weren't scared to play freshman, right? Jeremiah Love 
had four carries. Um, Jordan Greathouse was arguably the best receiver on the field, right? I mean, or maybe not even arguably. Um, so, so I think we're going to see um, an infusion of that that younger talent start to take over. And you know, I, I think that there's been this thought under the Brian Kelly regime that freshmen just don't get to see the field. And um, you know, I, I I know living out here in Glen Ellen, there's a guy on on the south side here in Glen Ellen, Cam Williams, who's just dying to get to South Bend because he wants to be a part of it all. I mean, I I'd heard a story from friends here that. You know, he was jealous that he couldn't be over in, over in Dublin. But, I, I mean, th- th- this offense, you know, is exciting. And I'm not sure if uh, Andy Ludwig could have called a better game than, than what Parker did. Yeah, I think I think there's talent everywhere on the offense. Um, and I think, you know, Notre Dame, you know, they remembered what happened last year in the second half against Navy. I think it drove everyone crazy. Um, you know, I think Marcus Truman said on the plane right over to Dublin, he ended up watching that second half again. I think we had one first down. I think we had like six total yards or something like that. It was absolutely got awful. And it was the same Navy defense that we saw this year that they, they brought to the table last year. And I think Parker, you know, as you said, as you talked a lot about Adam, he really kind of kept them off balance. They weren't able to get their blitzes home. You talked to Raj a little bit about Hartman's ability to sidestep the rush. Like that was awesome to see. You know, it was just it was just really neat to see a quarterback that could stand in the pocket and then when he needed to get out of it, he could get out of it, but still actually hit people downfield, right? That that second touchdown uh, to Jaden Greyhouse was awesome. He sidestepped the rush, you know, and, and r- rolled out to the side and hit him. It looked like he was almost going to go over the line, and he just threw it to a wide open receiver. So, um, yeah, tons of freshman talent. You know, uh, you you brought it up a little bit earlier, Roger, around Merriweather not seeing the ball as much. I think they try and get him involved a ton this week. You know, get him some confidence. Colsey continues to be someone that you read about is does not a good practice player, but all he does is just you know do really well in games um and then the stable of running backs it's just there's an incredible amount of talent there um i was when i was watching the game we were over at a uh, good friend vj thangamani's uh, house for the game on uh on saturday and when Jaden gray uh, or not Jaden, when jadarian price got that first touchdown i was over the moon first off just because that kid is just he's just such a solid awesome kid i've been saying for years that i think he's gonna be a captain on notre dame's team um, and to see him come back from that injury, that Achilles injury last year, was just really, really cool. And I think the sky's the limit for him. Um, all right, we've talked a lot about the offense. Um, Raj, I'm going to pass it over you to the defense. And you brought up a good point about the Notre Dame offense in that we were always looking at second and short. You know, it was second and six, uh, or excuse me, second and four, or second and three. We're getting, you know, big chunk plays on first down. Um, what did you think about the Notre Dame's defense? I think that that was a big thing that they did against Navy this year, was limiting, you know, the yardage for Navy on first down, which, as we know, against the option, is the biggest thing, right? Don't allow them to get six, seven yards on first down because then it just it's it's running downhill and it becomes really hard to stop. Raj, what do you see from the Notre Dame defense? What impressed you? Um, and obviously, you know this isn't going to be the the full defense we see for the rest of the year, right? Because this, the 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 options a special kind of unit that you got to put out there. But what do you like about the Notre Dame defense on Saturday? Um, and how do you think that projects for the rest of the year? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard not to state the obvious which is the linebacker play and Bertrand's play was just, I mean, to say it was impressive is probably an understatement. And and I think part of it was their discipline on particularly going to the weak side on, on on their option plays. I mean, I think the tackling, the, the ability not to let Navy get to the second level in hardly any of the runs. I mean, I, I may be mistaken, but, I don't think that they had a run for more than seven to eight yards. If they, if they, they might've had one or two, maybe, I, I, I don't know, two. Okay. So, 
Um, I mean, that was just, it just doesn't happen, right? I mean, all the time we, it takes us until about the third quarter to adjust. It takes us time to say, all right, bring another guy in, bring, you know, a ro- another rover in to take off the pitch guy. But I think the linebacker play was tremendous. We didn't ask too much of our DBs, but we didn't have to. I mean, I, I, you know, their, their, their ability to throw the ball was so, so limited. And then, they were what six of nine or some, not even that. Um, I wanted to kind of ask you guys about your thoughts about the interior line. Um, I thought we'd be able to get a little more pressure on them. I, maybe that was the game plan just to kind of keep them contained and let them try to get to the edge. Um, I don't know how many tackles for loss we had. I don't know that that was the game plan either. We really didn't have to do that much in creating pressure. Um, but certainly we put them into bad situations. What do we see all the time with Navy? We see it all the time. All right, they got five yards and they got three yards and all of a sudden it's third and two and they're always going to go for it on fourth down. But we saw a bunch of situations where they had to go for fourth down on their side of the field or they had third and eight, which they're not wired for. So um, kudos goes to Golden for having this plan from the beginning for a team that's just a pain in the butt to defend all the time, just the way they approach it. Now, it doesn't help that their quarterback, I mean, you can say, well, if your quarterback, who's the focus of the triple option, gets nothing, then what are you supposed to do? But the reason he got nothing was because we had a spy on him the whole time. So um, I I don't know, I, I, you guys probably can add to that a lot, but I, I would say the limitation of the constant second and twos and the third and twos and the things that historically gave me palpitations against Navy, made it such an enjoyable game to watch. Yeah, I'll, uh, Adam, I'll pass it over to you. I can, I'll give you guys my thoughts on the defensive line in a second, but Adam, I'll, I'll pass over to you to answer Roger's question. Yeah, so when, when you play Na- the Navy offense, right, this is usually the, the best juggernaut rushing offense in the nation. Um, as, as a defensive line, you really have like kind of gap responsibilities, right? And you have to have gap discipline. So you're not going to get a whole lot of like kind of dominant line play per se in the sense that you're just, you just have to control that gap. It, it, it's really a game that's designed to let the linebacker shine. Um, but just, just real quick. So the Navy's longest play from scrimmage was 14 yards. Um, and last year's game, we gave up three plays over 14 yards in the first quarter. So the, the, the stat that, that, that kind of brings it all home for me for the defense is we gave up 2.6 yards per rush against the, you know what, what is usually the nation's leading rushing rushing de- or rushing offense. Um, but but I, I just want to comment a little bit more on those the linebacker play um, coming into this season. I think Maris Leafau was getting a lot of criticism. As, as a guy who played too much, didn't have enough production. But when you look at those linebackers between, you know, Kaiser, between Bertrand, between Leofau, I mean, they controlled the game. I, I, I thought I thought Leofau was was probably an MVP. But even a guy like um, we we missed we missed JD Bertrand in the game last year, and I, I think his presence um, was was certainly felt, and you can realize why that was such a big big absence last year. But, you know, Kaiser, they're, they're lining them up in all kinds of formations, all kinds of positions. They're putting them at rover. They're putting them at safety. And credit to the linebackers for, you know, it, it's a unit that, you know, when you talk to Notre Dame fans, I think they want to see, like, 
you know, that that guy that's like Jalen Smith. They want to see Jalen Sneed out there just just a dominant linebacker. But what we have in those three guys is just three experienced, very smart players that that I think are going to carry this defense. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, uh, we, we have, you know, kind of one of the strongest, at least corner tandems in the nation. But, you know, we, we really didn't get to highlight much of that. But kudos to Marist for for, you know, kind of working his butt off and, and, and really being what I thought was was kind of the cornerstone of that defense on, on Saturday. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the ability to play three linebackers like that, that it had a ton of experience playing against Navy is huge, right? You brought it up, Adam, playing Kaiser. You saw him, like you said, it was almost like a rover slash a safety position. Um, his ability to do that is, I think, what separated our defense on, on Saturday. Um, I think if you look back at Bertrand, kind of the stats, I think, I think he had a so-so game, but I think he just he's just such the leader from the middle that he, you know, he's just always tends to be in the right place. He missed a few tackles, but I thought he played a really good game. I thought Leofau was the most physical he's been since that, what, 2021 or whatever that was, 2020 game against North Carolina. He was blowing guys up. It was great to see. Um, I think kind of bringing it back, Raj, to the defensive line, um, as Adam says, you know, their job is really to kind of control gaps and make sure they don't get, like, let guys get by them. But I thought the ends played pretty well, right? I mean, you know, against Navy, you have to be able to control the edge. Um, you know, guys like Nana were able to hold it down. Um, you know, uh, Batello had a good game. Um, so it was great to see those guys. Good, good to see guys like Josh Burnham get in there for a little bit. Um, I thought, what's his name actually? Jay, Jay Javante Jean Baptiste, actually, you know, he, he shined on a few plays. So that was great to see him out there. And obviously, he's going to be more your, your rush end uh, moving forward. But he looked like he played well. I think. I've we've been talking about him on this podcast for years now. You, I think you always want to see more from Riley Mills, man. That guy just has all the talent in the world. It just doesn't tend to show up as much as we want, um, you know. But maybe this is the start of you know we'll see a little bit more this week, and he grows from there. Um, you know, Jason Anya got some good time. Gabe Rubio is in there, and Rubio is now out for the next couple of weeks with a little bit of an injury. Hopefully, he's back for Ohio State. Um, but then, yeah, Howard Cross continues to hold down the line. So I think overall, you know, like you guys talked about, the, you don't see much from the, the cornerbacks in this game. What you want to see is good sound tackling. You know, people keep on talking about Jaden Mickey and the great tackles he had. So um, I think that continues to bode well for the, for the secondary, what we're going to see moving forward. Obviously, this week won't be as much of a test against Tennessee State. Uh, but, you know, lots for the Irish, you know, defense to build on. And I think they had a lot of guys get out there to play, which was, which was great to see as well. So, um, oh, Raj, you got something. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys, because one of the things that both of you could probably comment better than I can, um, it seemed to me with the rotations that were going in on defense, and you brought up Baptiste and some of the others, that there was a simplicity of the defensive scheme that allowed people to just be athletes and get after the ball. I mean, and maybe the scheme was overly complex previously i know that this was a conversation that's been having in the preseason but i feel like the conversation happens a lot in previous coordinators oh well so and so lets us just play but um it seemed to me that to your point about also discipline on defense adam like other than other than gap discipline on offense the discipline on defense allowed these guys like they had very simple responsibilities well, what, what Navy was trying to do, at least scheme-wise, is they were going to the weak side quite a bit. So they'd line up kind of a, you know, a slot and a receiver on one side, and they were running a lot to that, that, that off or weak side. And I think, to your point on discipline, that, that, that's where our linebackers kind of experience, I think, really showed, right? Is it, you know, whether it was Kaiser or whether it was Leofau, 
you know, they, we, we weren't missing tackles. And, and that, that was, that, that was something that we probably haven't had in the past is, is just making sure that we, we were, you know, sure tackling, gang tackling, um, but but also making sure that we were beating those blocks on on that weak side, that offside, because that's all it takes for them to kind of spring one of those long runs is to to get the cornerback blocked and then have the linebacker miss, and then all of a sudden they're off for a fourteen or twenty yard gain. Yeah, I do think um, I do think they they have simplified the defense a little bit, Raj. I think Golden even came out and said his playbook was a little bit larger last year, um, and maybe probably too much. Um, but I do think kind of the other aspect to that too is that I think Notre Dame, there's just depth, right? And you have a lot of guys that can do things well, right? So you have the ability to say like, hey, we're gonna ru- we're gonna put Nana in as our as our end primarily on running plays. We're gonna put JVB in our JJB in on passing plays. Like you're gonna put Burnham in on passing plays. Like I think we'll see a lot more Snead this weekend, right? Like because he's, he can do a little bit, you know, kind of different stuff than the other linebackers can. So. I think it's. I think a lot of it has to do with simplifying the playbook a little bit, but then also there's just a ton of talent on that defense, and you got guys that you can rotate in and say, "Hey, you're really good at X, Y, and Z. We know they're probably going to run, you know, X, Y, and Z. So we want you in there, um, and you're. Gonna, we know you're going to make the play." Um, I think all of this kind of builds to the question that I wanted to ask you both a little bit around, um, and this kind of kind of goes in general to Coach Marcus Freeman. Um, you know, he's in his second year. Um, great to get you know the season off to a good start with a win. You know, if you think about his first ever game as an Notre Dame head coach was a loss in the bowl game, and then the following year, when his first year as a head coach, um, he lost his first two games. So it's great to see him get off. You know, kind of almost I wouldn't call this a third season; it's technically the second. But you know, that opening game of the year to get a win. Um, you know, obviously the game was in in control for the Irish for you know kind of since the start. Um, so you didn't get some of those clips where the the, the TV you know shows Marcus Stream and he's got this kind of you know, a little bit of a deer in headlights look, which I think we've seen a little bit in the past. Um, he just looks to be in control. He looks like he's a lot more comfortable in his job um, as the head coach in Notre Dame. Um, so, uh, Adam, uh, what did what are kind of your thoughts on, on Coach Freeman's second year, um, how it started out? And, and, you know, like you said, it does sound like it's his team. These are his assistant coaches. Um, and what do you expect to see from him for the rest of this year? I, I think it just it seems like he's night and day different. And I, I think it's exciting because I think that this is – this is the guy that we all, you know, think he can be, and and is makes him the right coach for Notre Dame. Yeah, well, look, like he was coach out of default, right, last year, um, and and kind of went once Brian Kelly left, and so I think that this is a job that can just overwhelm even the best head coach, right? And I think, you know, you know, Marcus being able to kind of, you know, go through that year and have some stability around him, right? Have your Tommy Reese, have your Harry Heastan, um, have have your strength, you know, and conditioning folks intact. Gave, you know, a lot of people kind of said, oh, well, you know, when we lost two games out of the gate that, oh, so much for the idea of stability. But I, I really think that, you know, kind of his, his, his just demeanor, his leadership was able to steady that ship and we, we rolled off six wins in our next seven games. And so I think, you know, he showed that the moment didn't necessarily overwhelm that he could kind of get that under control. And I think he probably spent this offseason saying, hey, you know, last year was kind of a just just survive. Right. It was, you know, kind of just don't drown in the enormity of it all. And what what I think we, we saw is, you know, he he got to chance to, to elevate his his tight ends coach that he had faith in. He got to bring in Gino Gadouli 
as a quarterback's coach. He got to pick his his offensive line coach. So th- this is really in my mind, and you know, I kind of mentioned this earlier, is him putting that stamp on the program, right? That I don't think that I, I think the guys that he has in place are his guys and he, and he trusts them. Right. So he's going to let them coach. And, um, you know, we, I, I think he can kind of move towards being that, you know, we always accuse Brian Kelly of being that CEO guy, but the, the reason why that, that model probably worked is because you trust your, your assistant coaches implicitly and you allow them to, to really take control of, of the players, take control of the game plan and, and it allow, and it frees up Marcus Freeman to, to kind of spend the time with all the other units and not just being kind of that defensive coordinator that, that got got the Notre Dame job by default because he was, you know, this likable guy. Raz, let's hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think psychologically speaking, it's one of those things that if you spend time constantly trying to convince people that they didn't make a mistake – um, you're going to be defensive, just cautious and trepidatious. And I think it, in that first year, to Adam's point, it was a lot of him acting in ways and maybe coaching in ways, I don't know, to, 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 to kind of defend against the fact that he was default or whatever people's mindset was. Oh, you don't deserve to be the coach. And now he's, he's able to show people why he should be the coach. And just kind of a psychological flip there, I think, will free him. Now, how much of that did we see? I don't know. But I, I do think his overall demeanor when he's talking to the press, when he's dealing with his players, his comfort level is different. And so I think psychologically it goes from defense to offense, which I think, naturally speaking, allows people to be freer and allows people to be a little more aggressive with the way they like to do things. The second thing is, um, as many people know, and who knows all the details, being the Notre Dame coach is more than just about being on the sideline. And I don't know any job that potentially could prepare you for that. Um, of all, there are other big jobs, obviously, but especially if you've never been a head coach, uh, I think that that role of being that person uh, takes a while to get used to. And expecting someone to know how to balance everything that's not associated with the football field um, is a lot, uh, especially if you've never been a head coach. Um, But maybe one of the things that will stand out, I hope, this year, he's got not only coaches that he picked, he's got a bunch of dudes out there on the field that he is responsible for bringing. Great House is a good example. Um, I mean, I think, you know, and we pick on our, our, our buddy from Glenbard South, who we're all excited to see next year. I mean, these are guys that he's going to bring in his kind of guys. So um, a number of reasons. But I'm excited to see how he performs this year. Yeah, I do think, I do think the, your point about a lot of these guys being his guys is, is, is a great point, right? Like most of these guys are, at least on the defensive side, are guys that he recruited um, when he was a defensive coordinator, um, obviously now being the head coach for two years. Um, I do think he's really putting a stamp of kind of who he is on the program. Um, and I think, you know, you also brought up a good point, Raj, around like the, what you have to accomplish as an Notre Dame head coach. My gosh, all the, the goofy Notre Dame clubs across the country that make you come and give talks. Like, I'm sure he's like, you got to be kidding me that I got to fly out to X, Y, and Z city and do these things. But 
he does it with a smile on his face. Um, thank God he's got a private jet in order for him to do that, um, which which is awesome. Um, I think the other thing you, you, you've you've hopefully if, if you guys saw the article from Pete Sampson, you know he's done a really great job of you know getting to know a lot of the other head coaches at Notre Dame, um, which is really cool. You know, and if you listen, if you read that article. They talk about how the guy previous to, to Freeman, you know, didn't really care a whole lot about getting to know other coaches um, and getting, you know, showing up at games. And Freeman does this, you know, all with, you know, six kids at home. I don't know how he does it. I mean, my God, I've got two kids and I don't, I can't, I don't know how many he accomplishes. You guys both have two kids too. I don't know how he accomplishes that. Um, it's insanity. But uh, yeah, I think he's growing into the role. Um, I think he's just a natural born leader. Um, you can tell that the players love playing for him um, and they're, they're excited every week as it relates to, you know, being an Oregon football player, which is awesome to see. I think for us being, you know, alumni of that school, um, that's what we want, right? We want a, a program that graduates kids. We want a program that represents us well on a Saturday, plays really well. Um, but it's just neat to see someone that's embraced the university um, and to have students that, you know, student athletes that embrace that person as their coach as well is just awesome. Um, all right, let's put a, let's kind of put a bow up on Navy um, and kind of, you know, finish the conversation around them and, and bring it, bring it forward to Tennessee state. Um, Notre Dame's first home game of this year. Um, you know, I don't even know what the line is. It's it's probably crazy. You know, Notre Dame is, is favored. They should win. They should win pretty handily. This shouldn't be a contest. Um, Raj, I'm going to start with you. Um, what are some of the things you're open to see this weekend, knowing that this isn't going to be, you know, a game that once again will define and, and kind of give us the best view of who this Notre Dame team is? What are some of the things that you just want to see in general to say, you know, coming out of Saturday, you're like, I love this or man, that was great to see. This gives me more confidence in this team as it relates to what they can accomplish this year. I think a couple things. Um, number one is the expectation is that we should dominate the lines of scrimmage. And if we were supposed to be doing gap discipline against Navy, we should run these, the offensive or the defensive line for Tennessee state over. And I, we shouldn't have any, fear about bringing different looks and different blitz packages um, and experimenting a little bit because in a couple of weeks we're going to need to be able to pull out tricks if we need to so i'd like to see um, that kind of dominance from the front you know the front seven the front four the front six whatever it is um, the second is and we didn't have much of a chance to see obviously our punting game but it would be good to just make sure our special teams are okay. So one of the things I noted in the Navy game, the kickoffs were sound, they were deep, the extra points were split right down the middle and also hammered, but we missed a field goal. Um, and yeah, okay, maybe that wasn't that big of a deal, but in this situation, um, we should be pretty sound. Um, and so, you know, if we, for instance, see mistakes in the special teams, that would be a cause, I think, for concern, particularly in our kicking game. Um, not knowing a ton about what Tennessee State brings to the table um, on the kind of defensive side, uh, I think it will be interesting if we get up um, by a decent amount, what we do and what kind of exposure and play reps we get for our backup quarterback. And, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I do think it's it will be important because we are all banking on the fact that Hartman's going to be durable. He's wearing part of his rib around his neck. Um, and, you know, uh, whether Angeli or, you know, Minchie or whoever it is could play may end up being important this year. Adam, uh, tossing it over to you. Yeah, so I 
I, I got to be honest. I, I'm, I'm just looking for health coming out of this game. I mean, this, this is a game that, that should be wrapped up even earlier than the Navy game. Uh, the, you know, I, I think Tennessee State is kind of running the the Jacksonville State Deion Sanders model, bring in some kind of famous head coach and, and hope that that attracts people funding and everything else like this. But this is this is a, um, you know, kind of this is what, what I think they call them buy games, right? This is this is Tennessee State's chance to make some money, go on the road and um, be kind of roadkill for a good power power five kind of opponent right so so yeah i, I mean i i, I want to see some good action for the backups but this is this is a game that you just kind of hope you take care of business get out of there healthy um i don't know that we can learn a whole lot about beating up on on, on a team like tennessee state like it really there's just downside i think that can kind of come out of this kind of game um it's our first fcs opponent that we've ever faced I don't think Tennessee State has a good track record of against any FBS opponents that they face. Uh, so, you know, hoping for kind of a a ho hum kind of forty point win, and, and and let's just get out of there. Let's just have um, have our health and and, and 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 start focusing on on the next week in Central Michigan. Well, it's NC State. We got a little okay. bit, yeah, a little well, bit different Central game. Michigan after NC State, yeah, okay, NC, yeah, yeah. So I think. Um, I think you both you both were were very right in what you said, Adam. I love the the health idea. Obviously, you know I, I think Rubio's maybe the only one that might be missing following the Navy game. Um, Raj, I love what you said about the offense and defensive line and dominating. You know these are games that I feel like sometimes in the past Notre Dame, especially from an offensive line standpoint, you know doesn't show their best, which is frustrating. You know a team that we should run a ton against, we we tend to not do. So I'd love to see that. I think the other things that I and I was writing down as you guys were kind of talking. Um, you know, I want to see Estimate not fumble. I want to see him have a very clean game. I want to see us get Merriweather involved, get him his confidence. Um, I'd love to see the backup quarterback in there. So it sounds like it's probably going to be Angeli. But I do think you need to balance this, right? Like this is next weekend's game against NC State's an 11 a.m. start here in the Central. So 12 noon, the game's going to be all of a sudden right there. You know it's going to be a crazy crowd. NC State's playing, I think, on Thursday this week. So they're going to have 10 days of rest. You know, this is technically would be only Sam Hartman's third game down there in North Carolina. Um, you want to continue to get him reps with this team, right? Like we got to get him continue to develop. So a game where, you know, even if we're up a ton, maybe at halftime, I think maybe you run him for a little bit in the third quarter. I don't know. I mean, you run a fine line of do you want to get him injured versus and then same thing, getting your backup reps. But at the end of the day, you know, Hartman's got reps, obviously, but does he have reps with his wide receivers? Does he have reps with his Notre Dame team? So so I do think it'll be a little bit interesting to see what happens from that perspective. Um, I'd love to see the safety play. Um, you know, we didn't see a ton from them in, in the Navy game or we didn't see a typical coverage that they would be doing. So I want to see those guys. I want to see, you know, who's going to be that second safety outside of Xavier Watts. You know, is it DJ Brown? Is it Ramon Henderson? Is it Carter? Um, you know, what's Harper going to do from from a nickelback perspective? So I think there's a lot of things we can watch. I, I agree with you guys. I don't think we can learn an absolute ton, uh, but I do think it's good to get a lot of folks reps um, and making sure that we're, we're prepared for, for, for North Carolina State. Um, kind of throwing it back to you guys um, as it relates to, you know, kind of the rest of the season. Um, you know, I didn't have you guys on the pregame show, so didn't get your pregame uh, kind of before the season thoughts and what you guys thought the final record would be. But, um, you know, what was your kind of thought around Notre Dame from a record standpoint going into the Navy game? 
and have you updated your 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 kind of overall pick and what you th- what you think the Notre Dame final record would be? So, Adam, I'm gonna start with you. What was your what was your Notre Dame record before the Navy game, and did you adjust it based on what you saw? Yeah, so I, I'm probably as irrationally exuberant as you are, Drew. But I I I think it's more of a what I, I'd call an educated guess than it is being just irrational. I, there's there's just a lot to like about this team, um, starting with with Marcus Freeman going you know going to Sam Hartman. I, th- this is a fun team, and I I think that eleven one is is you know I, I'd love to be able to say twelve and zero, but you know you watch USC this weekend, and they still have the same issues that they've always had right on on defense, and I I think that. Those games being, at, you know, the Ohio State game being at home, the the USC game being at home, I, I you, you know, if this team lives up to, to kind of where our expectations are, and, and this is not overreaction expectations, but just based on Navy, I'm, I'm saying even before that, like, I, I, I think a lot of why there was, I guess, maybe some caution in, in kind of projecting out this year was because we didn't really know what we had on D-line, but we knew that we were going to go eight or nine deep in the D line. We were uncertain about the receiving core, but we had Sam Hartman. So like a lot of the big question marks that we had were, were I think mitigated by the fact that we either had some pretty strong depth, like waiting in the background um, or, or, or just had some young, young guys that were going to be able to step up. So I, I, I'm right there. I'm, I'm, I'm in that same, same, same bandwagon and boat as you drew. Um, And I, and I had, had 11 and one even before kind of that that navy game and if anything that just kind of reinforced why why i was feeling good even though i i know that there is some position groups that people want to see more out of yeah i'm the same way with you adam it, it just reinforced my 11 and one opinion it was great to see and i think it was the absolute start that i think we all wanted to see and it just you know they met the expectation that i had for an 11 one team for sure all right raj passing over to you you guys are insane. <laughs> You're crazy. No, I. So, going back real quick, going back real quick to the Tennessee State game. Uh, I, I think it's cool. This is the first time that we're playing in um, HBCU, uh, and the second is, I hope they bring their band. Oh, they are. They, for, so, real quickly, I heard that Notre Dame's band has like five minutes at halftime, and and uh, Tennessee State has ten minutes. So they're ready. Oh, yeah, they're ready to roll. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. And there is no line currently on the game because no. <laughs> I don't think anybody's betting that line. Anyway, um, you know, I will be honest. I had us realistically, I was thinking nine and three and a floor was eight and four. Anything worse than eight and four would be disappointment. Watching them, I think the thing that stood out to me as much as Hartman was what what we can do with the running game because of Hartman. Um, and I think that changes things uh, significantly. And to, to the point, you, everyone's focusing on Ohio State, SC, <clears throat> and Clemson. Um, the trap games on our schedule, I think the NC State game is tricky, as you said. I think Duke won't be easy. Um, and Pittsburgh. The rest of the teams are garbage. And so... Um, I have changed not to the lunacy of 11 and one, like you guys are going to stick to, 
Um, but I think the floor is probably nine and three. I, I think ten and two is is where I think, hey, that's a good year. I, I certainly think eleven and one is possible. Um, but I I think a, a, a ten and two year is pretty realistic. Now, that's coming from the guy who's, you know, I started by saying Jerry Faust killed my dreams, but you know, I could go back in time and list all the times I said we'll be twelve and zero. And maybe in my heart of hearts, I still think that. <laughs> I think, Raj, you're on the, the Phil Dracovic bandwagon train that he went to pitch just so he could come in and ruin ruin Notre Dame's season. Is that where we're at? Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> oh, Pitt. Oh, my God. No, you know, I, I think Pittsburgh's tricky. Pittsburgh travels well. So, uh, Drew, I, I think you know this, but my one of my best friends from high school owns Corby's. And um, he he told me years ago, I remember this years ago, he's like, Pittsburgh travels well. And they do. They, and I think that makes a difference. I think that they're sneaky good. You know, their coach is a powerful defensive coach. Uh, Air head coaches. So, uh, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Sparty fan. Or, um, well, I, the, the one point I had, the other thing that travels well that we haven't talked about the entire, the entire pod is the offensive line? We haven't we haven't said anything about the offensive line, and um, you know one of the, one of the comments I, I think it was Joe Alt. You know their mission this year is to win that Joe Moore Award, and you know th- th- that that offensive line. We haven't said anything about it, but I think that they're going to be able to handle a lot of you know kind of the the, the tough defenses that are going to be coming their way, and I, I don't really think even Ohio State is 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 the same kind of mean Ohio State defense that they have. I, I think they become a little bit more of a finesse-type team. And, you know, Notre Dame having these road graders, I, I, I think we'll be able to kind of control the clock and control the line of scrimmage in a way that we haven't been able to in the past. I would far rather be playing Ohio State this week, though, than two, three weeks from now. And that's just because they get time to figure stuff out. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you if you look at our schedule, I think most of the teams we play, you know, you brought up like the Dukes of the world, um Ohio State like so Ohio State should be like it's either 3 and 0 or 4 and 0 facing us, you know, um USG USC will easily either be 6 and 0 or 7 and 0. Um Louisville should be like 5 and 0 or something then we play them. So we play teams that I do think if we played them a little bit earlier in the season, um, it would probably bode, bode a little bit better for us. I agree on Ohio State. You know, they still just, I guess they just named their quarterback the other day. Um, this guy, I don't think, has any college starts. So I wouldn't mind seeing him in his first start in Oregon Stadium. Um, but yeah, he's going to have a few games to figure it out. I do have one quick funny story about Pitt um, for those of you guys that listen to the pod and know me really well. Um, Raj and Adam, we weren't hanging out at this time, but back in 2013, I had my bachelor party. And as we were choosing which weekend we were going to have it, because my wife and I got married, Bridge, we got married in the winter. So it was like we did the bachelor party in the fall. And we didn't go to a game. We went to a casino, and then we went back to Chicago and to a bar, and it was a Notre Dame football weekend. And I said, All right, let's just choose a game that I know we're going to win so I'll have a fun time at my bachelor party. It was 2013, and I chose the pit game. And, <laughs> of course, Notre Dame lost, <laughs> absolutely ruining my birthday. And there is – there's a video of me walking out of the Wiener Circle at I think like three in the morning, just cursing that Notre Dame football ruined my bachelor party. So good story, um, good buddies. <laughs> all sorts of good trivia. Also, I mean, Pitt is the reason Tony Rice became a starting quarterback. Yeah, Kent Graham is that what happened? 
Terry Andresiak. Oh, Terry Andresiak. Okay. Yeah. Broken collarbone. T- Tony Rice comes in and leads him back to the win. Pitt also is a game where Derek Mays had his first three catches. They were all touchdowns. And Pitt's the game where we got by in triple overtime when they had we had two number what two number twelves on the field right for the field goal right or the extra point whatever that was yeah two number twos right was it twos or twelves I forget one of the two yeah um, and speak, yes. speaking of that the Tyree changed his numbers just this past week from two to four because he realized that I think he was on the punt team with with DJ Brown um, a good thing they figured that out <laughs> three days before Navy uh, which well, is always good. Yeah, I, I did, you know, maybe you're going to ask us this in a minute, but um, I was curious about SC, and I still am curious about SC. Um, go ahead. Maybe you were going to ask something about that. No, I, I was I, – I can give you my quick thoughts. Um, and we've got about – we've yeah. got about eight minutes left here. Um, so I think we can cover off on this and get some final thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, their quarterback is still god-awful talented but god-awful annoying, um, you know. I think I wrote down in my, my one foot down article that I just don't think he gets the same type of respect at Notre Dame Stadium that he got at USC. I think, you know, if he runs around in the pocket for hours on end, I think they're going to finally call some holding penalties on the, on the USC offensive line. I will say, if you watch their highlights from that game, that Zachariah Branch, that freshman, that dude is scary. My God, he is fast. Um, he's the kind of guy that you cannot kick off to, you can't punt to. That, that, he's just... there's not many players like him in college football and he's a freshman. So he's going to be a problem for three years. He'll be gone after three years for sure. Um, But that dude is scary. That's the kind of guy you can hit on a screen pass and he's gone for 90 yards. So that's a a crazy thing you're going to have to defend against in that game. You got a quarterback that can run forever and you got a wide receiver like that. But I do think, I do think Notre Dame wins that game. I just, I, I just think that our offensive line will control that game. Um, as you talked about, Adam, they gave up 28 points to San Jose State. So I'll throw it back to you guys um, to get your thoughts. We've got about uh, seven minutes left. But, yeah, love to hear your thoughts on USC. Well, so I was going to say, I mean, last year they probably missed 12 holding penalties, but we also missed about 28 tackles on yeah. them, which yeah. I just don't see that being something we do again. Number one. Number two is San Jose State made Zachariah Branch look great. Almost like, why do you kick the rocket again? The guy had 15 yards in a row on four straight punts or whatever it was, and he showed you he's going to light you up, and then you kick it off to him. Yeah. Why would you do that? Kick it out of bounds. I, I think the, the issue that will plague SC no matter what is that they're not disciplined. They're not disciplined. And they rely on a lot of skill and flash to get points on the board. But, you know, I, I think – I was listening to uh, college sports radio on Monday morning and they were talking about San Jose state being, you know, we get the other side of the story. Oh, Navy's probably bad. And then they, they, they make a point of San Jose state's probably pretty good. Well, no, why don't we just say the obvious SC's Mm -hmm. defense is pretty bad. Yeah. And so in this situation, the counterpunch to having an offense that might be pretty good. Guess what? Our offense is going to run your defense into the ground offensive you know passing and throwing so or passing and running i'll give it to work yeah no i mean the the issue with san jose state is is that they had a good quarterback right they had a quarterback that can kind of read coverages and they could escape the pocket and i look there's been very few times that i i felt like notre dame had consistently had the best quarterback on the field And, and maybe they won't when they play usc but I, I think that that's going to be a huge difference in, in, in that game. 
Um, and, and just cleaning up the record a little bit, Drew, it was number two. It was Bennett Jackson and Chris Brown. So um, wanted to make sure we, we cleared that up. But, yeah, I, I, I mean, look, there, there's going to be enough headlines, you know, this week and the rest of the year on Sam Hartman. And, you know, the hype is going to continue to build. But I think as long as he just plays within his game, he doesn't he doesn't have to do too much here. Right. Um, because that offensive line we talked about because of the running game. You know, Sam Hartman can take what the defense gives him. And and it's it's not that we're hoping that, you know, Drew Pine can actually hit that pass in the flats and hope that it doesn't go at his feet. Right. I mean, that that's it's it's weird being a Notre Dame fan and, and and going out and kind of having great quarterback play and just just knowing that a quarterback can recognize coverages and, and not have to just lock onto a receiver and then just take off. Like Ian book was a great quarterback, but you know, if Ian book didn't have his first target, it was, it was a scramble. And, you know, I think having this offense, like I, there, there's a lot of pieces right there that I, I think have a chance to kind of gel and come together. Yeah. Let me, for Sam Harbin, first of all, Drew, I think because he looks straight out of a just for men ad, his beard might take this might take yours <laughs> just like three to two in a best of five tennis match. Although, you know, if you get a little product in there, hey, it might get a little dark. I'll take it. I will take yeah. that. <laughs> Second of all, to, to Adam's point about other options, I mean, you didn't have anybody who could blow the top off the defense. So then you were constantly forced to have your primary target be Michael Mayer. You could put two guys on him, no matter how big and physical he is. But now you, you do probably have a guy or two who can go vertical. You do have a guy or two who can go to the flats. You, can, you have a guy who can want to run a wheel route. We will have, you know, kind of middle zone pass options. Oh, and by the way, a guy who has steadiness to say, that's not open, that's not open, that's not open, all pretty quickly and check down. And we can make it we can have an argument about about his arm strength and his ability to to deliver the deep ball because I would say he missed a couple touchdowns. Um, but does it matter if you can complete the twelve yard pass every time? It doesn't matter. Yeah, I think this is we're seeing what it's like to have an elite quarterback, and that's that's great. I think it it, it makes everything else better. It makes your defense better because they can be you know, challenge things a little bit more because they know the offense can score. It makes everyone around you better. The wide receivers get excited. They want to be out there. Running games better. It just it's night and day different. Um what a, what an elite quarterback can do. All right, guys, we got two minutes left. Um my final question for you and just want a quick answer. Um if Notre Dame is four and and Ohio State will either be three and or four and coming into that matchup at Notre Dame Stadium, that will be the biggest home game since when? Just give me your quick answer. Um, probably remember the six game. It's thirty-one nothing, thirty-seven nothing. Our our leadoff game in what year was that? Four four or five years ago, right? That game against Michigan. Uh, twenty seventeen, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go back even further. I'll say the the biggest hype train that Notre Dame's had, and this is the best feeling that I've had since that year, and then got let down quite a bit was that home opener in 2006 against Michigan where we were, I think we were coming into that game number two in the nation. Michigan was probably 10 and you know, the, 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 the air out of the balloon came out quickly, but I, I, you know, that was a year where we were on the cover of sports illustrated, a lot of hype. And, um, you know, it just, it just, 
peter it out from there but i i i think that this this is that type of national profile game yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go even further back than you guys both i'm gonna go oh five usc i just think it's that type of game i think we haven't beaten ohio state in forever um game day will be there it's gonna be night game their fans will be there it's gonna be crazy so um all right guys thank you for joining me today raj basu adam ortega thank you guys so much awesome to have you guys on the on the pod once again ladies and gentlemen i am drew brennan this is the exit 77 podcast thank you guys for joining always appreciate everyone listening adam and raj one quick final goodbye thanks for having me drew go irish or go irish thanks pleasure as always man Awesome, guys. All right, we're going to let the bagpipes take you out. Looking forward to talking to you guys soon. As always, go Irish.